Hey, good morning, Grant. It's Pastor Rob. It's great to see you today. I have a question for you. Have you ever had a broken bone? Not everybody has, thankfully. Um, as far as I know, though, I've had one. Um, I, there are some times when I got hit with baseballs and fell and all kinds of stuff that I would imagine I've broke some of the things in tiny little ways, but, but I have one story of a broken bone in my life that was actually x-rayed and determined was broken. I actually got hit by a baseball bat in the nose. Now, <laughs> there was no, nothing nefarious about it. I was on deck to go bat at a, a summer program I was at, and, and honestly, I walked too close to the guy who was batting right before me. Did it to myself. Was careless, wasn't paying attention, did something I knew I shouldn't have done, and I got popped. I got popped in the side of the face broke my nose. And I remember my mom coming to pick me up and me, they wouldn't let me look at a mirror until she got there or actually not even then. And I remember me looking at mom and going, is it broken? And my mom going, you know, I think it's too early to tell. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I wouldn't worry about it just yet. Well, she, she was just trying to keep me calm because my nose was tilted sideways and the end of it was over here. It was <laughs> kind of a V shape instead of a nose. And so that, that admittedly, once we were able to openly see that it was broken, that required some intervention to fix. You know, when you get hurt, when you get injured like that, it takes time to recover. And if it's, if it's a big enough injury, it takes intervention, right? It takes surgery or therapy or something to repair the issue. Your body cannot repair it effectively on its own. And it requires someone who has skill, training in truthfully creating more damage before affecting the repair because if you're going to repair a broken bone or a failing organ that you have to generally uh, cut open a body you have to generally cause more damage move things out of the way in order to repair the issue and then put it all back hopefully better than you found it or at least as good as you found it that's just the reality of life is that sometimes when we're injured, we cannot do it alone. Sometimes we need more than what we're capable of on our, by ourselves to repair something. Over the last week or two, we, actually this is week two of our four-week series called The Sting, we're talking about a problem that we can't repair ourselves. We're talking about a problem, the problem of sin and death. Death that was introduced into the Garden of Eden. We talked about that last week in Genesis chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. How death was introduced. Adam and Eve essentially pushed the death button by choosing to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In doing so, they introduced not just death, but they introduced shame. They introduced pain. They introduced fear of a relationship with God. And the, the truth is, we're still recovering from that today. That injury to humanity sticks with us today. And it's not an injury that we're capable of resolving ourselves. Our hearts are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And it's one that requires a supernatural intervention, a specialist, a surgeon for the heart and the soul to repair. If we look at Genesis chapter 3, we stopped in chapter 15, or verse 15 last week. But if we look at 3, 16 through 19, it's almost immediate. We get, we get this picture of what life, this new life looks like without a relationship with God or with an injured relationship with God and with an injured understanding of, of the world and of our hearts and our minds. 
Genesis 3, 16 through 19, I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible, says this. He says, God, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And and he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Immediately, things change. It's, 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 you go from this, this scene of Adam and Eve walking pleasantly in a garden, tending for the garden, carrying the garden, naming animals, walking with God when he's there during, throughout the day at various times, checking on them. You get this picture of him having, them having conversations with God and with one another and communing with nature as a whole, this temple that God has created for himself to reside in that he allows human beings and all of creation to live in as well. But the scene immediately flips. It flips, and now pain is introduced. He specifically identifies women and says, look, you're going to go forth and multiply. That's one of the original commands. You're going to go forth and multiply, but but it's going to hurt. Giving birth is going to hurt. And as someone who has watched his wife give birth three times, um, amen, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And I commend women who, are, who do that because I, I don't know if I got it. I don't know if I could do that. It also hurts in, in more extensive ways. Bearing children, living, raising children hurts sometimes. They're not easy. Adam and Eve discovered that right out of the gate. If we were to go to Genesis chapter 4, we would see that right out of the gate, two of their sons, Cain and Abel, aren't able to get along with one another. They're je- one is jealous of the other, and one ends up, Cain ends up killing his brother. No parent should watch that. Just, so this, this idea of pain, this physical pain that is introduced into the family dynamic out of the gate, yes, it begins at childbirth, but it's it's going to continue. He also hurts men. He targets men here and he says, look, you're going to have to work to provide. It's not just going to be there. Your life isn't going to have meaning in and of itself. Your life isn't going to have purpose in and of itself just by existing or being here or just caring for the garden and watching out for those you love because you have created this animosity between you and me. You've created this sin and death in the world, this fear in the world, this shame in the world by choosing to do something you know you weren't supposed to do. You made a choice. Men are endowed with something author and psychologist James Bauer calls the hero instinct, this desire, this drive to protect the things we love, to live a meaningful life, to be respected by others around us. And the truth is, That seems like that's getting harder and harder and harder every day. It's no wonder we love to watch hero movies, right? That Marvel movies and DC movies are such big blockbuster hits because we get to see people being a hero. And in some way, shape, or form, no, I don't want to be Thor flying around with a hammer, although that would be super cool. 
and the Iron Man suit would be pretty amazing. But at the end of the day, the real draw is this instinct that men have to be the hero, to protect, not because women or those they love are weak, but because they're valuable, they're purposeful, they're meaningful to us. And we have we feel this instinctual possibility or this instinct and requirement, frankly, to protect and to provide. So the notion of dealing with thistles and thorns and, and it your the fruits of your labor being absolutely futile at times as you're trying to do those basic things that you're called to do uh, introduces also this spiritual and emotional pain, this question of value and meaning. The fact is that provision and protection are so difficult to produce in our world that really hurts men spiritually. He also said there's, the world's going to be more conflicted now. In verse 16, he says to the, to the woman, he says, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Right there, there's this, this conflict of you have one set of goals, but it's not going to work out the way you would hope. There's going to be a competing set of goals. The truth is, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden together, were walking together. They were in one accord, as they were all in one accord with God. But in entering that relationship with God, they are now thinking and feeling and acting and being different. Now the command here is, is or the, the, the statement here is not about uh, ruling over your wife or women in general. That's this misogynistic, it's not what it is. The, the New Testament is very, very clear that the relationship between men and women is supposed to be mutually submissive. It's supposed to be mutually uplifting and challenging at times too. We are partners just as God made us a helper in the very beginning, we are partners working together to bring glory to God and to live out the life we're called to. But the fact that we've introduced this idea of the knowledge of good and evil creates a conflict where there was none before. It also, this new injured life is more fragile. They were going to live forever. Now they're going to return to dust. And the truth is it could end at any time. It's no wonder we often feel like life is hard because since the fall, frankly, it is. It is hard. But even here, God did not leave them on their own. It's, it's, this, this image is not God kicked them out of the garden and said, good luck, have fun, see you on the other side. That is not what he did. In fact, he actually helped them establish this new life. He didn't leave them on their own. In Genesis 3, 20 through 24, so the next five verses, it says this, it says, the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and he stationed cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. Even as the relationship was injured, we see hope remains. The man immediately is, it gives the name Eve to his wife. Eve means living, 
right? That's why it says she's the mother of all living things. The, the, the concept of continuing to grow and multiply and go forth into the world and have hope of a future remains. God did not destroy hope. Life changed. Things got different. Things got more difficult. But even out of the gate, he's saying, look, hope is still here. Life is still here. A future is still here. It's almost like he maybe had a plan down the road. He also gives them new clothes. He upgraded them out of the gate. He took these flimsy things that they had built for themselves and he gave something of his creation to them to clothe them. The truth is he made clothes out of skins, animal skins. This is the first recorded death we have. The idea that, that God would damage his own creation to care for humanity should be mind-boggling. That he would not just give them new names and give them hope and remind them that, that this was not the end, but that he would give more of himself after he'd been offended. He would give more of his creation in order to care for, watch over, clothe, and protect humanity. I don't know if all of us could do that in the midst of being harmed, hurt, damaged, injured, if we could actually give to the person who was hurting us. He then builds them this new home and says, go out to your new home outside of Eden. Now that may seem crazy. You've been, you're kicking me out of my home. What do you mean? No, he's, he's not. He's not. He's giving them a new home and a new opportunity. Can you imagine living forever with the weight of your sin upon you. Every mistake, every bad choice, every impure thought, every poor action, every anger, angry outburst, every hurtful thing you've ever said or done weighing on you for all of eternity. Truth is, if Adam and Eve stay in the garden, it does. If they stay there, if they are never returning to dust, that they live through all of eternity and all of humanity lives through all of eternity with all of that sin bearing down on them forever. And they know it because they've eaten from the knowledge of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. They know it. Talk about guilt that is never ending. Talk about shame that is forever building. But God says, no, I don't want you to have, as Warren Wearsby would have called it, that bleak of a future. Talk about an existence without hope. That's not what God wants. Even then, even as he's being injured, even as he's responding and having to remove them from the garden because that kind of that can't be in his presence even then he's watching out for them and even in that he's saying you're not going to have to bear this forever there is another way see god saw an opportunity even then he knew that redemption was possible for man that it was coming for man through himself through himself as he would undo the work of Adam with what many would call a second 
Adam, a new Adam, a reborn Adam, an Adam that was perfect, and his name was Jesus Christ. To see him and to see this connection, we have to jump all the way up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 through 26. As Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's talking about what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ meant, why this happened. Listen, listen to the words Paul uses to describe how God has redeemed man with a man and himself. It says this, it says in verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Bringing death to life also comes through a man. It says in verse 22, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each to his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, when he abolishes all the rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under, under his feet, and the last enemy will be abolished. to be abolished is death. Adam's sin, Adam's choice led to death. But Christ's perfection restores life. God has set forth the plan that he was preparing the people of God for, his people for, humanity for, from the very beginning, this opportunity to be redeemed, this opportunity to be put back into a right relationship with, with God himself, where there was no animosity, there was no injury, where nothing was broken, where it's all taken care of out of God's love, God's capacity, God's supernatural engagement because he's way better than any surgeon, any human surgeon could ever be at repairing the heart and the soul and repairing our relationship with him. Jesus's perfection restores life. He also says this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of yet a, a new thing. First fruits afterward, it is coming. Those who belong to Christ will be with him. They will all be restored to life. And, and then he says it will be better than Eden. It will be better than Eden. He says, then the end, then, he, then comes the end, and he hands over the kingdom of God the Father when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, and he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. That means no serpent. That means nothing that could inhibit or destroy our relationship with him. That means no sin, no death, no pain, no shame. It's gone. This is the hope that even as we were in the midst of destroying our relationship with God, and if you right now are destroying your relationship with God, even in the midst of that, God is offering this opportunity for you to come back to him. He's offering you a chance to find life restored in him. Restoration is available only through him, only through Jesus Christ. Restoration is available because of him. It's offered by him. And all you have to do is take it. If you want to take that restoration, all you have to do is say, Lord God, I'm ready. I'm ready to make you my savior. I am ready to make you the Lord of my life. I'm ready to restore this relationship and limit the hurt and the pain. I'm here 
to restore this relationship so I can reside in this place with you that will be better in, than Eden itself. I'm here, God, to restore this relationship, not because of my power, but because of your power. Because I know you can do something I cannot. I know it is what you have wanted from the very beginning, and I am ready. Please make Jesus my Lord and Savior, and please make me a new creation. He's offering it. Will you take it? Will you take it? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.